It's time to rethink everything, to redo the rulebook, to explore smarter ways to work and rediscover what's possible. It's time for a fresh take on how technology and creativity are changing the way work gets done. I'm Brian Raleigh, and this is The Big Rethink. Today's episode is about how data and analytics are showing up places that actually might surprise you. Today, we are covering this topic specifically in the world of baseball on and off the field. Our guest, Katie Kral, is a baseball expert, data and analytics champion, and one of Boston Red Sox's newest development coaches for its minor league affiliate, the Portland Sea Dogs. Katie, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks so much, Brian. It's a treat for me too. So uh, first of all, uh, congrats on the new position. Um, you know, I hate to always tie this back, but you know, you might be only 24 years old, but you have obviously had already an impressive career path. You know, I, I was doing some some uh, research prior to this, and you know, I'll let you go into it a little bit, but you know, economics and operations coordinator for MLB. Uh, you were with uh, Cincinnati. Uh, you did some time at Google. Like, I mean, walk me through, uh, give our listeners a little bit of over, overall uh, overview of sort of what led you to your passion for baseball and technology. I'm fascinated by it. Definitely. I've definitely been busy, Brian, since I left Northwestern in 2018, to say the least. So lots of really different experiences. And I've been so appreciative of those eclectic opportunities I think being at the league office and focusing on more of the macro level problem solving that the commissioner's office grapples with, that was fascinating. The two years in Cincinnati, really being in the trenches and thinking through how can we acquire more players that are going to help us win more games. And then now with the Red Sox being in uniform, uh, definitely having that impact on the field and thinking through the way that data can really inform how we prepare our players and then how we conduct ourselves during the game, uh, I think it's going to be really exciting and honestly not a position that I would have thought would have been possible even four or five years ago. And it's interesting that you say that because I was reading an interview that you did um, with ML, or I think MLB was the one who actually posted it. And it was interesting the way this entire role that you currently have as development coach sort of came about. You were like, you know, you, it sounded like you were having this conversation and you're like, wait, does this even make sense? Like, how does this all sort of tie together? So, I mean, that position development coach is sort of fascinating. You're, you're, you're combining sort of sports and data while actually redefining, I think, what most people think of when they think of the word coach. Tell us a little bit more about what that role really entails. Completely. So it's going to have a foot in the front office, Brian, and then also a foot on the field. So it'll have all of the traditional coaching components that we think of, whether it's throwing batting practice, conducting outfield drills, but then also really looking at the numbers and thinking, how should we prepare for this upcoming series? If we're playing the Somerset Patriots, who are an affiliate of the New York Yankees, who on their pitching staff do we need to be wary of? Who on our side maybe hasn't been hitting, let's say, breaking balls particularly well? How can we make sure that when our guys step into the box or when they take the mound, they really are in the best position they can be to succeed? And, you know, there are a lot of quantitative ways that you can equip them in order to be best prepared. But I also do think that you have to have a customized approach. You can't necessarily send out PDFs or Excel spreadsheets to players and expect them to then digest that and then 
implement it between the lines. You know, it, it, you really do have to have that feel and that understanding and those relationships in order to be able to communicate the information that you have. So when you're doing this, so I mean, you're really doing that level of detail and analysis on all the players that you might be up against in a coming series or game or whatever the case may be. So I mean, that must take a tremendous amount of time. Like, I, I'm, I'm just curious, like, I mean, in terms of how much time you mentioned on field, off field, how, how much of that, like, how much does that sway and, and what percentage of time is on and off sort of doing the analysis and then working with the team? Definitely. So working backwards from first pitch, I'll be in the dugout in uniform next to our manager, next to our pitching coach, really being a resource if there are questions during the game, who should we use off the bat? Who should we use off the bench, excuse me? Who should we bring in maybe in a relief situation, depending on the leverage? And then um, prior to the game and prior to the series, it's meeting with the pitchers and the catchers primarily, more one-on-one conversations with hitters. So the catchers know what to call during games, what we feel like are some of the more optimal selections of a particular pitcher's pitch mix. You know, maybe he has a really strong cutter, but maybe he has trouble throwing it against lefties. So if there's a big left-handed bat in the eighth inning and you've got a runner on third base, maybe the cutter is his best pitch technically, but in the given situation, it isn't the right decision. So working on that, um, you know, just being around for batting practice, I think it's so crucial, Brian, when building those relationships that I am seen as part of the team and accessible and a resource, whether a guy wants to, you know, just play catch or if he, you know, has questions about the Rapsodo or the track band data from the previous night's game. So how has, I mean, you know, we, we all think of analytics in a certain way and, and we all know that analytics sort of has always been a part, right, of, of the professional, um, all of our professional sports, right? But when it comes to specific data analytics in baseball, I mean, the first thing that sort of pops into our heads are batting averages, winning records, uh, topics mainly around general performance, right? Can you talk a little bit about how um, sort of this data and analytics has sort of evolved over the, over the past year? Like, I mean, to the degree that you're looking at it today, how, how long have, have we been looking at it to that level of detail? I would say right now we're in the post-Moneyball revolution. So let's say the Moneyball revolution is looking at things like on-base percentage and not being reluctant to have a player walk, you know, that the way you reach and get on base, whether it's a single or a hit by pitch, all of those are favorable outcomes. I think where we are now in the game, it's less of a focus on outcomes. I think we realize that like win-loss record or ERA isn't the best indicator of pitcher performance. And so it's more so thinking about like the underlying numbers. So the type of contact that's made, um, stat cast, which um, MLB created in 2015, I believe, in partnership with AWS, you know, that looks at exit velocity or spin rate on a curveball can now be measured with Hawkeye. So it's not necessarily saying, oh, you know, pitcher X struck out 30% of batters last year. It's more so this is how his slider plays. This is how his fastball rises. You can get really granular and, you know, we say to guys all the time, having quality plate appearances, if you make loud outs, sometimes, um, you know, favorable outcomes will happen. But if they don't, we want to make sure that we're seeing positive trends. So, I mean, as we start to, you know, talk through this, you know, I mean, we also, we're talking about this strategy at a, at a very personal level. This isn't about team and this isn't, about, I mean, this is individual in individuals' performance at a very personal level. I mean, it's biometrics, right? I, I mean, so so is is 
I mean, it, obviously it's a big deal in the baseball world, but can you talk to us a little bit about sort of that? Like, I, I'm just curious in terms of from the player perspective, how well was it received? You know, what, is it, you know, you coming in and having all of this data based on their performance? I mean, is it, are they receptive to yes? The, I mean, obviously it's factual, so it's very difficult to, to have an argument with someone when the facts are there and the numbers support that. But are they receptive to this type of management? I mean, I'm assuming it's completely different than the way in which people have been managed in the past. You know, it, it definitely can be foreign for some players, you know, especially if you're thinking about the players who are signing from the Dominican or Venezuela. A lot of this tracking technology is completely new. I will say for players who have been on the high school perfect game circuit or from larger college programs like SEC or Big Ten schools, they are very comfortable looking at their track manner, their Rapsodo data, data, and they know how to interpret it. I think because they have seen and evolved around the tech revolution in baseball. I will say, though, that there definitely are camps of players who, like Chris Sale at the major league level is a great example, who are not necessarily interested in having more of those quantitative methods and metrics in front of them. And again, like we at the Red Sox never force a player to interact with the information if they don't feel comfortable. It's more so um, it's available and we're happy to translate it and have dialogue over it, but it's never um, necessarily like issued from on high and then players have to think about it or have to look at it right before they go up for their plate appearance. Yeah, and that's that's actually another, I guess, another comment is, you know, uh, so how do you start to have those conversations? Because again, it is very personal. So is that done on a a one-on-one type basis? Is it, is it, you know, uh, you know, infield, outfield, like you're having those conversations, like, like, how, how do you approach those conversations to be able to, you know, make the most of them so that the player and and the team actually benefit from all that great data that exists. Right. I think coming into an organization as a new coach, for me, it's more so getting a sense of where players are and what they're trying to work on. So for the past week when we were in Fort Myers at our winter warm-up camp, if I was in the cages of players or in between their side sessions on the mound, it was, you know, what did you work on this off season? What were you trying to do there? Like get a sense of where they are rather than telling them, this is what I think they should be working on this season. I want them to see me as more of a partner in those conversations. And then we do have larger group meetings with both analytics and player development. And then the development coaches thinking through, you know, we want a higher first pitch strike rate this season, or we want to make sure we're winning more one, one counts. Um, So again, Like there is, I think from the player development side, a lot invested in players. And so we do try to take um, more of a glass half full approach in that we think you can get better. We think you can do this. The metrics are there to help you accomplish those goals, not necessarily to weed players out. Yeah. And and I would say, you know, I hadn't even thought of that side of it. So, you know, you're thinking about it, you know, during season. But I would think that from a player perspective and a play, I mean, in the in the business world, right, we're always working on ways to develop and to expand the skill sets of our teams and our organizations. So I would think that a lot of this data would also help in the offseason players 
um, to sort of perfect some of what they're doing and, and make that even a more useful um, part of their time. Because again, you're very factual in terms of here are some of the shortcomings and here potentially, and, and, and keep me honest, but I mean, as a development coach, I would think that um, part of this would be you leverage that and, and provide sort of the, here, here's what the data is showing us based on your performance and here's what you could do to help increase that before we come into next season. Is that is that in line with sort of what the, the role looks like and, and what it's about? Absolutely. I haven't spent an off season yet with the Sox, but from what I can tell, because you do have those quantitative benchmarks, you know, guys can work out independently on their own or maybe at some of the hitting clinics or pitching labs that they go to. And we can say, okay, this is the target that we want for um, the spin rate of the curveball you're trying to develop. Or, you know, can you send us the blast data that you have from your most recent session in the cage. You know, we really can now have insights into what players are doing in the offseason. And it gives us very much so a better holistic picture when they do report of what they've been doing since the season ended in September. So, you know, I know that your career, you you, you started, I mean, baseball has sort of been the love of, of what you do, right? I know it's been part of since you were, you, you were young. And then, then there was that shift over to Google. So, I mean, how did that experience sort of help you sort of in your development to, to sort of get you to the point where you're at right now uh, and coming in and now being a part of the Red Sox? Google was really fascinating, Brian. I think my biggest takeaways and what I thought I would glean from big tech actually were off base. So I figured I'd go to Google and I would learn how to really manipulate large data sets how to be, you know, very innovative and progressive in terms of the types of technologies that were being used. And actually, the greatest lessons that resonated with me were how to build a culture, how to treat people. I think Google does an amazing job of empowering their employees. I think everything you read and everything you hear about Google is really spot on. So that was cool. I think being on the global strategy team and having the opportunity to think about Google as an organism and how do you manage this behemoth and how do you you know, be really proactive and strategic, that was phenomenal. I focused on Google Workspace, which is a $5 billion entity within Google that's growing at 30% annually, so really high-performing team. And I think part of my reluctance to leave Google so early for anything other than the Red Sox job because teams had approached me um, one t- two teams in the National League, actually, like immediately after I left the Reds, um, you know, because it, it was a really amazing culture to be a part of. And I felt like I was learning a great deal. But the chance to be in uniform, it felt like something I could never turn down. I, I know it has to be kind of because it was mentioned in uh, the MLB article that I read that once you left the Reds and went to Google, you had lots of outreach. How does that feel? Like, I mean, knowing that you add that much value to to that type of an, an industry and that people are, are bothered by the fact that you left. I mean, first of all, kudos to you. I mean, that's a, that's that speaks volumes, right, of, of, of your value and what you bring to the table. But how does that feel? I mean, that that's going to be kind of a, what, was there a moment where you're like, wow, did I make the right move? What am I doing here? Or uh, talk to us a little bit about that. Thank you. Yeah, I found it very validating. Um, I do not take it for granted that teams felt the need to reach out to me or felt like I could be a worthwhile off-season acquisition. That does mean a lot to me. But to your point, I do think it speaks to the relationships that I've built since, gosh, 2016 when I worked for the Cubs. Um, you know, and the way I feel about baseball, I think I bring my whole self to work. I think I am really tenacious and I looked for competitive advantages where we can make ourselves better. So there definitely was a part of me 
that felt like there was more for me to do in this game. And I did feel called back to baseball in many ways. Yeah, it's amazing when you can tie things, you know, obviously the name of this podcast, The Big Rethink, and our goal is to try to get people to think of things in in different lights. But, you know, when you think, you mentioned the culture, and um, that was one of your biggest learnings at Google. It's It's really interesting that, you know, when you think of how you would tie a culture at some place like Google to um, a major league sports team and the importance behind that. So, I mean, it really does show you that, I mean, it, no matter what you do, at some point, a lot of things just boil back down to relationships, um, communications, and sort of that level of respect that you achieve from one another being good at what you do. Um, I, I think that's really a fascinating point. Um, so we've talked a little bit about technology and we've talked about sort of the, this, you know, enabling of biometrics. I mean, I, I know there's probably things that you can't talk about, but um, are, are there are there any other exciting technologies that are sort of on the horizon or things that, you know, you've sort of been exposed to specific to the type of, of work that you're going to be doing that you can share with us? Definitely. I think biomechanics, Brian, is the next frontier in baseball. I think being able to have skeletal data points, not only on the pitcher and the batter, but also on the fielders when you look out, I think that's going to be phenomenal. And in many ways, I think is going to shift the paradigm, not only in the types of players that are acquired, but what the sport values. So um, Kim Kinetrex and Simi are two of the largest providers of biomechanical data. Hawkeye also has its own system and software. So I think human movement and the kinematic sequence is really difficult to decode. It's why the Red Sox have hired a woman who is a biomechanist who specializes in this type of work because it's not something you can necessarily pick up and start reviewing like it's uh, biology or something your freshman year of college. It is a really high level science and discipline. Um, So at the Reds, we did focus on biomechanics a little bit. And at the Red Sox, I can see they're continuing that trend too and thinking about how can we optimize movement and how can we make sure that our pitchers and our hitters are moving as efficiently as possible. So can you, I'd love to dig into that just a little bit further. So, So when you say how your pitchers and hitters are moving in a more efficient way, I mean, this is something that I don't think most people would think like, okay, there's a guy on first, right? Uh, how do we make him move? More? Like, give us some examples of like what you look at and, and how, do you, how do you achieve that? And what is it that you're actually garnering from this type of technology that allows you to be able to sort of make that, that person on base more efficient or, or, or something? I, I'm just, I'm really curious about that and, and, and how that really plays in. Absolutely. I'll focus on pitchers first, Brian. I think release, side, and extension is a great tool that we can now see that comes from biomechanics, but also comes from a few other vendors and platforms that we use. So if we're seeing like the extension or the release on a fastball and we notice significant discrepancies between the fastball and the slider per se, we can tell, okay, he's dropping his arm. That might be a potential point for injury. So the pitcher may not even realize it, or it might be something he does to add deception. So the hitter doesn't know if it's a fastball or a slider that's coming through. But we want to flag that and we want to be aware of it because if he's not necessarily fully releasing the ball and he's maybe, you know, leaving his arm out over the plate longer than he should, there's a potential there for him to either hurt his shoulder or maybe hurt another part of his body. So 
it can also be really valuable from the injury prevention perspective in terms of hitters being efficient. You know, it's making sure if they have a leg kick or if they have a timing mechanism with one of their feet, that they are doing that and that it puts them in the best possible position to be athletic and to be able to really swing through the ball, that they're not drifting back. If you think about when you catch a baseball or when you catch any type of ball, you really want to be forward and you want to be centered. Sometimes if batters drift too far back, then they have to overcompensate before the ball crosses the plate in order to get in the best position to hit it. So a lot of coaches can see it instantly and recognize when a guy either on the mound or at the plate is off kilter and off balance. But now that we have these tools, we can quantitatively say at what part of the pitching or the hitting sequence is he going awry. And if you're able to identify at what point in the series that that you're able to identify where the potential issue could be, does it does that actually streamline the amount of time it takes to sort of correct that? Or, I mean, I'm assuming that knowing specifically you're not watching his entire cadence, you're, you're isolating on a specific part. I would think that that would help resolve it faster. Is that, a, is that a fair point? You're spot on. I think half of the problem is figuring out what the problem is. So if you're able to quickly identify that, then you can immediately say, okay, here's what we figured out the issue is. Here's how we're going to remedy it. So, I mean, it's clear, you know, that the work that you're doing is, is revolutionizing, right, sort of the baseball industry. And, and we would be remiss if we also didn't call out your sort of historic presence, right, as one of the women coaches of, of um, an MLB team. But I, I know you've talked very candidly about how, you know, you wish the idea of women in sports wasn't the sort of the story itself, but rather the norm. But to make this possible, quite honestly, uh, we do need more women such as yourself in baseball. So I'm just curious, do you have any advice for women who are looking either to get into this field or quite honestly, any field uh, that might be viewed as more of a male-dominated field? Um, because I think there's there's some some really interesting insights here. And, and at the end of the day, um, it is it is historic in terms of what you're you're being able to accomplish. That's a great question, Brian. And yes, I do agree with you. I think there is a balance between celebrating the roles that women are now rightfully earning, but then also hoping that this someday becomes more mainstream. But I do think that there is great value in, you know, you look yesterday was National Women and Girls in Sports Day. You know, the posts that were on MLB.com, the different women who were calling each other out and really, you know, building each other up. That was phenomenal to see. And I would love for that to continue. In terms of the advice that I would give, I would try not to get discouraged. I think there are plenty of people out there, whether it's sports, whether it's medicine, whether it's you know being a CEO, who do not believe in racial or gender equality and who are resolute in their positions on those topics. And I think when you can find those champions and those people who unconditionally support and believe in you, you have to hold on to them um, because those moments when you're tested or those moments when you fail because it's inevitable, you're going to get fired or you're maybe going to screw up on a project. You really have to lean into your foundation and your base. Yeah, I would agree. I, I think it's about surrounding yourself with good people um, because, um, you know, at the end of the day, if you're around the right people, your gender, your race, your sexual orientation, any of that is not really important. People look at you for who you are. And what you're capable of doing, and at the end, 
that's how a lot of this gets eliminated. And I don't want to simplify this because I know that there are many challenges that are out there. But if we if we all start to just view things in that light, I think then um, the the idea of um, gender equality and a lot of other equalities that need to exist um, will, will sort of fall into play accordingly. Kitty, I, I have one final question for you. I know um, you're a Chicago native. And the Cubs and White Sox were a big part of your youth. So I have to ask, how does your how do your friends and family feel about you being with the Red Sox? They are super excited. I think it was a lot harder for them, Brian, to support the Reds. <laughs> and I think quite a few of them never really fully got on the Cincinnati was bandwagon. Was that the reason for leaving? <laughs> they knew. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, I actually, um, I took my parents and my twin sister, Annie, to a Cubs-Reds game this was probably like Labor Day of 2021. And like, we got great seats, uh, like probably second row. And everybody in my family is there in Cubs gear. I like couldn't believe it. It was so embarrassing. I had to like pretend I didn't know them. Uh, (laughs) But no, they're really excited about the Red Sox. Uh, It's obviously a historic franchise. It's one that, you know, has etched its name into the history of baseball many times over. So I couldn't be more honored to be a part of the team. Well, Katie, again, I mean, I Huge congratulations. Um, We obviously look forward to your success and would love to have you come back at any point to talk to us more about some of the future technologies, how things are going. Um, But I I, I can't thank you enough uh, for being here. Really, really appreciate it. Oh, absolutely, Brian. This was really fun. I'm glad we got to talk. So before we sign off, if you've enjoyed this podcast, you can help us grow by visiting our feed on iTunes to rate, review, and subscribe. Or if you're listening on Spotify, be sure to hit follow. That's it for us. I'm Brian Rowley, and that was another episode of The Big Rethink.